This is Jay Baer from Convince and Convert, and welcome to the Content Pros Podcast, where you'll hear the strategies and secrets of the best content marketers in the world. The show is brought to you by Oracle Marketing Cloud, helping businesses use the latest marketing technologies to tell their stories and connect with their customers. The show is also brought to you by Vidyard, the best platform for creating, managing, and optimizing your video content marketing. And the show is brought to you by Uberflip, a content experience platform that allows marketers to create, manage, and optimize tailored content experiences for every stage of the buyer journey. The hosts of the show are Randy Frisch and Tyler Lessard. Find all links, archives, and more at contentprospodcast.com. Now, here's Randy, Tyler, and this week's special guest. Welcome to another episode of Content Pros. I'm Randy Frisch from Uberflip. As always, I've got Tyler Lassard joining me from Vidyard. And today we're going to talk about things that Tyler and I actually deal with all day long. And literally five minutes before we started recording this podcast, I was in a meeting with my VP of Marketing and my SVP of Revenue, and we were trying to figure out how we get marketing and sales more aligned as far as targeted, direct, if you want to call it, ABM sales are concerned. And I'm sure that a lot of people listening to this podcast are struggling with these same challenges. No matter how small or big your organization, there's huge complexities, and we've got the perfect guest today to talk all about sales and marketing alignment. Tyler, why don't you bring him in? So I, uh, I'll echo that. It's something that I live and breathe every day, and uh, quantity versus quality. How are we giving content to our sales team? Are we building programs to help them or hurt them? Um, things I think about every day, but uh, I know my friend Matt Hines from Hines Marketing not only thinks about this for his own company, but thinks about it for clients. So with that, I'm going to let you introduce yourself, Matt, give a bit of background on, on where you've come from and what you do at Hines Marketing. Oh, thanks very much, guys. A pleasure to be here. Yeah, my name is Matt. Started uh, Heinz Marketing about eight and a half years ago. Yeah, I, I think of us as sales pipeline people, uh, which I think is sort of you know germane to this conversation. You know, we are a bunch of marketers that think in terms of full funnel sales pipeline contribution. Uh, you know, you can't really buy a beer with a marketing qualified lead. So we prefer to sort of put more focus on pipeline contribution, close deals, and that requires uh, marketing to work more closely and in a more integrated way with the sales organization. Not always an easy thing to do, but it's a required thing to do to make sure marketing's getting what they want out of the equation. So we help you know growth mid-market companies uh, sort of manage that uh, and improve that and create that scalable, repeatable system from the marketing perspective moving forward. So I'm going to get the buzzword out of the way. This is going to be a buzzwordy podcast, everybody. So brace yourselves for it. But there are going to be some very tweetable quotes from Mr. Hines. So stick with us. So the buzzword I'm going to get out there is sales and marketing alignment. And Matt, from your perspective, what does it really mean right now? And what's changed in the last three to five years that are making companies think more, if they are, about you know, how to get these teams working together? And what is the role that really content is starting to, to play in that? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, in general, too, for far too long, and still this persists in a lot of companies today, you've got a marketing organization that acts like the arts and crafts department. And I think in an age of increased uh, transparency and, you know, requirements of attribution of what's impacting what from a business standpoint, you know, there's a, there's a heightened, there's a brighter light on what marketing is doing and what impact it has. So thankfully, uh, that is translating into marketers that are putting their money where their mouth is, that are embracing revenue responsibility, and that are, you know, look, I mean, they, they may, marketing may still generally own the top of the funnel and sales may own the bottom, but there's far more integration 
an alignment along multiple stages than there used to be. Uh, and, and I think content is at the core of that. I mean, you know, you think about, you know, Anne Hanley talks about the fact that everything the light touches is content. This isn't just blog posts and white papers. This is the way the sales team addresses prospects. This is the way that your BDRs respond to your webinar leads. I mean, like, the last thing you want to hear a BDR say is, thanks for attending the webinar. Would you like to see a demo, right? I mean, the nuanced way that you approach that prospect to have the right conversation is in and of itself content, right? And, and I think we forget that the biggest, the, one of the biggest roles of content across an entire addressable market is to get and earn and keep someone's attention right. and ultimately get them to think differently about their status quo. And there's a many different formats that can take and there's different vol- versions that that should take for different personas and different roles in the organization based on the buying cycle. And so, you know, where we're seeing more and more companies invest in content, too often it's not created with that nuance in mind. So it's just more and more crappy blog posts that aren't necessarily having an impact. <laughs> well, and, and you know, the one thing that I've learned here that you mentioned and I'll double click on is the, you know, as a marketing organization, we have a bigger responsibility throughout the buying journey than we ever have before because of all the changes in, in buying behavior and, and community and such. Um, and as a result, you know, my team has a pipeline target and we have a revenue target for marketing sourced opportunities. But, you know, as that started to happen, we, you know, I certainly personally realized the need to say, well, if I'm not only responsible for top of funnel leads, if I'm responsible for qualified pipeline and revenue, I sure as heck better get my sales team effective at follow-up and I better start building programs for outbound campaigns that those guys can go and run to, you know, help us fuel actual, you know, in-market results. And and it was actually a, a change for me as a marketer thinking about actively how do I create campaigns that support both inbound and outbound? And how am I creating, you know, opportunities directly for the sales team to go out? And, and that's kind of what started to fuel things like ABM and others. And um, Randy, maybe just to toss it over to you, um, are you guys thinking in that same light at, at Uberflip? And, and do you see the same in your client base? So, yeah, I, I think, Tyler, you're like always on my headset or something like that. You know, we, we do these podcasts in this way. And it, that meeting I referenced that I was in literally 20 minutes ago was exactly on this big debate. And I, I think you nailed it. It's a big shift that we've had to, to think about as marketers. We've had to go from thinking top of the funnel to thinking about that entire buyer journey. And one of the things that I always contrast is you think about all the thought and effort that go into our drip email campaigns. Now, I don't care if you know, you're a marketer who uses something fancy like Marketo or Eloqua or Pardot or if you're just using something as simple as you know MailChimp, it doesn't matter what you're using. You're really thinking about every message that goes out. And I think the, the big debate is, is the sales team thinking as critically about each email that they're sending? And if they're not, maybe that should be marketing's responsibility to help bridge. Um, you know, Matt, maybe over to you. How do you see the ownership of the cadence of messages coming through the sales team? Should that original copy before it's personalized live with marketing or should that live with sales? I definitively believe that lives with marketing. I think that there's been a bit of a debate on the sales side. You know, we get involved in a lot of the inside sales conversations and even in the sales 
community, there's a debate of should market should sales be creating content? Like even if you have salespeople that can that can write a compelling piece of copy, is that really why you hired them? No, I mean you hired them to sell. And and I think marketing needs to be the champion and the owner of the personas and the buying stages and what people need to hear at different points. And it is certainly up to a good salesperson to customize that and personalize that to each unique situation. But I think the consistency of what's going to work more appropriately and more actively at each stage needs to come from marketing. But I also think that marketing has to understand and realize that there is going to be that level of customization at the ground level. That you know you can't assume that all pieces of content are going to apply equally to every prospect in every individual situation. That's where we ended up in the situation where ninety percent of you know content created for sales doesn't get used. It's not because sales can't find it. It's because it doesn't it doesn't work. And I think too often marketing sits in an ivory tower and says, well, here's how we should talk to salespeople or here's how we should talk to our prospects. And what I would encourage a lot of those marketers to do is take your copy, look yourself in the mirror and read it while you look at yourself in the mirror. And if you can do that with a straight face, then maybe it's good copy. But nine times out of 10, the what we write that we expect salespeople to say or what we expect to deliver, people don't talk to each other this way, right? I mean, you're not writing to a building. Buildings don't write checks. So I, I think there's a level of precision. There's a level of comfortability, there's a level of just realism that needs to go into content that is going to make it easier for salespeople to use what they're getting from marketing. So, Tyler, maybe a question back to you or Matt. You know, whose responsibility is it in marketing? Like, what's the job title these days that you're seeing of the people who are helping to author the cadence of communication, be it you know phone calls to your point, Matt, or emails that are going out? Who's owning that on the marketing team? So I'll I'll take a first on what we see here at, at Vidyard and what I've what I've seen some some clients doing and product marketing for us uh, because they own the personas. To your point, Matt, they take a very outside in view. Um, they try to really understand the value drivers, the business drivers, and they take a first cut at building that framework around what that messaging should look like. Um, but again, it starts with the value to the persona, not with the product, which is also a, a problem we see with sales owning messaging is they tend to start with product, um, not the value drivers. So we've started there with product marketing as building the core content and the templates. And then we actually have our demand gen team who works hand in hand with our sales development reps um, to actually take those and nuance them into those individual campaigns or nurtures. And we found that to be effective because those the demand gen folks are actually sitting really close with the sales development team. Um, and I think have a little bit more day-to-day -day feedback from them on what's working and what's not. So they tweak what comes from product marketing, um, and, uh, and but make sure that they're actually sitting with the sales team and, and getting feedback as they do it. Um, Matt, does that uh, contradict what you're seeing out there? No, I think that works really well. I, I think the the only thing I would add to that is that, um, you know, they're, they're not every, I mean, we talked to a lot of earlier stage companies that don't have a, a well-defined or a mature product marketing team. And so there right. isn't that natural home for the personas. What's more important is that someone is assigned to own that and then it becomes an active uh, tool. It's not something that you create and you put up on a wall and it's done. Uh, especially early stage companies that are changing what they're selling, changing how that's pitched, um, learning about the buying process while they execute it, um, and then are able to translate that into appropriate content. Um, you know, sometimes that is, you know, in, in certain ways, um, you know, managed uh, in, a, in a group format, but someone has to be the owner. And, and it can be any number of people, um, you know, on the marketing side, but, you know, someone even at an early stage company needs to embrace that. 
So we recently, um, uh, I, was, I was very proud of my team because recently we won an award for one of our content campaigns, but the award we won was for sales enablement. And it was because the way we designed the campaign was a, a, a 100% around um, you know, the needs of the sales team and to generate more qualified opportunities for them. And the one thing we did that I thought was super interesting, and I can't take credit for this, this was the smart people on my team, um, but they what they did was they built this uh, maturity assessment uh, tool that almost effectively asked the qualifying questions sales would typically go through. And it gave the results back to a sales rep, but we actually created content that was held back. So the sales team had a very specific follow-up. They knew that if somebody came in and had answered these questions, there was an exclusive video or an ebook that they were to share back that helped them understand, hey, here's based on your responses, here's how I can help you get from A to B. I'd love to have a conversation. And what was interesting about that program, and it was the first one where we had really locked up with sales when we designed it and said, what questions would you ask here? You know, how well does this qualify somebody? Uh, but it was super impactful and, 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 and worked really, really well. But the most important thing was the sales team was excited, right? When they got leads from this campaign, they were excited because they knew exactly how it was orchestrated and they knew how to follow up. It was very prescriptive. Um, and, and on that point, again, Matt, are you seeing people do this in the real world other than, you know, companies like us? And, you know, is this something that you're really advocating with clients to, to build marketing campaigns with sales involved in, in the whole process? Oh, my gosh, yes. I mean, like, I think the more you can do that, the more sales is bought in. Like, if, you, if, if you're creating campaigns, like, in a vacuum, and then, you know, the day before you forward the, you know, sort of a draft version of the campaign, it's like, oh, here's what you're going to get tomorrow. Like, they're not ready. They weren't part of it. They made it. I mean, and so even if a sales leader was involved, there needs to be some expectation of what people are going to get, why they need to follow up with it. You know, your point about sales enablement programs is really important. And I think it if you, as a marketing organization, are are, are measured on pipeline, on, on lead generation, right? If you're measured on the MQLs you generate, what incentive do you have to invest resources in giving your sales team materials that are going to improve conversion rates of opportunities that you may or may not have had anything to do with, right? And so like that, I think sales enablement content, the content you give to sales that helps them excel, not only accelerate velocity of deals, but increase their own efficiency, help them work more deals and increase their active selling time. That's one of the most effective, most high leverage things the organization can do to help with sales. And if marketing isn't measured based on marketing influence on closed deals, at least in some way, there isn't a natural incentive to do that work. So, I mean, some of this comes back to just alignment, right? It is, you know, making sure that you've got these teams aligned around objectives, aligned around incentives to make sure that they're thinking in the same way. Like I want a marketing team that is going to forego their cheapest lead source if it's not converting. I want them to triple their spend on leads if it's to uh, to a to a target that is shown a propensity to convert higher and or you know give higher lifetime value once they're a customer. Right. I mean, these are the metrics that matter more. It's great that we're looking at you know pipeline contribution and closed deals increasingly. You know whether we're talking about account based marketing or not, I'm seeing those same marketers start to say, okay, closed deals is great. But what about lifetime value? Like, well, who are the customers? Who are the organizations that are staying with us longer? That are more likely to, you know, um, be the land and expand success stories? Like, that's where we need to go spend more of our effort because it has a greater revenue impact on the business overall. 
I love, I love that angle, Matt. And, you know, absolutely. That's, that's the goal. That's what we're all striving for. I want to take a quick pause here, hear from a couple of our sponsors, uh, both Uberflip and Vidyard, who you'll hear from Tyler's company and my company. We actually do a lot in this space in terms of enabling sales. We'll come back and we'll talk more about some of the formats of content you can arm salespeople with. Hey, Zoe. Hey, Kelly. Do you know what I love? Benedict Cumberbatch? Yeah, him, but also Netflix and how it always shows me what I'll love, aka all the murder mysteries. Ooh, or documentaries about puppies. I wish there was a way to do that with B2B content. Well, hold on to your pants. So you know Uberflip? It lets you create a better content journey for your readers. So I can let my readers binge my content while my sales team also sends it out to prospects? You sure can. Amazing. How do I get it? Just head over to uberflip.com and request a demo. So as we said, we're going to dig in a little bit more here around the types of content that you can use to really arm salespeople to close these deals, to engage at a higher rate. And, you know, Tyler, I'm not just saying this. I was, as we talked about, I was having this meeting earlier today. And one of the things that I was debating was, you know, what are the personalized content assets that people will actually notice when you send it to their email or you follow up? And I think too often people these days, in my opinion, we're focused on, okay, well, we'll change this one word in this document or we'll put a different cover page on a document for you, right? And, you know, all of a sudden people are going to believe that we've really, you know, created a personal piece of content for them. And I, I just don't know if that's cutting it. I think the standards are getting raised really quickly around personalized content. And I was actually suggesting, you know, the way you guys help people drop videos that are truly personalized with, you know, a frame or two that puts their name in and a cute, fun way. Maybe you can tell, I, I, it's, I'm having a tough time explaining, but can you tell us one of those types of campaigns that your clients have done? Yeah, there, there's two types of things that we're seeing with video to really kind of take that personalized touch to the next level. One is the automated personalization. And what we mean by that is, you know, you've got a video that's ready to go, that's going to go out to a lot of people or be set one to one. Um, but automating, pulling in that individual person's name, their company name, their title, you know, something else relevant to them into the flow of the video content itself. And, you know, what happens there is you, you generate a thumbnail and somebody sees it and they're like, oh my gosh, that's, that's me in that video. That's my name. This, 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 you know, must be very relevant. Um, it's a very interesting, you know, play and, and it's working really well because, you know, people understand the, the connection there of, uh, okay, I can see that this was specific to, you know, my role or, or to my business. Um, and there's also the vanity of, of us loving seeing our names and things like that. So it creates a sense of intrigue. Um, that's working really well on, you know, some account-based marketing programs and sort of broader campaigns where you really want to get people's attention. The other one, though, that I'm kind of more excited about, and, and you know, Matt, I'd love for you to talk about this, is the personal video messaging, which is really the idea of authentic, genuine you know, video that I can record and share with somebody. So instead of typing a big, long email using a template, we hit the record button and we actually get on camera and we say, hey, my name's Tyler. I'm from Vidyard and I've got some ideas about how we could help you do A, B, and C. I'd love to chat more. Click send. And doing a personal video like that, that actually shows your face, it humanizes the process, we're finding to be super successful for, um, for sales teams. And, you know, marketing has a role in helping to, you know, prep and, and equip that. Um, but it's something we're seeing to be really effective. And so those two ways of using video to really personalize and humanize the experience is, uh, is become really, really interesting. And, you know, Matt, I know that, uh, that you're a fan of some of these ideas and, and not a fan of bad prospecting emails. So, um, you know, bad whiskey and bad sales prospecting, what do they have in common, Matt? 
Well, uh, they leave a bad taste in your mouth, right? I mean, I think, you know, it, you know, it may feel cheap. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, when they're enabling their sales team, you know, they prioritize and optimize based on what's going to be the lowest cost. Like, well, this is faster. This is cheaper. This is a shortcut. Well, sometimes faster and cheaper is not the best way to go, right? Sometimes it is, uh, but, but uh, sometimes you get what you pay for. Uh, your point about videos and emails is spot on. I mean, I don't know if this is, it probably isn't meant to be a commercial here, but I mean, I've been using Viewedit, the tool that Vidyard provides, and uh, I love it. I mean, I, I think it's a great way to differentiate. I mean, I don't use it in every plane of communication. One of my favorite ways to use it is if I kind of stop hearing from someone and don't know why, you know, haven't heard from in a little while. Sometimes just, you know, breaking up the monotony of written written emails, just clicking that button and you know, one button away, I've got a little, you know, casual video I can send off to someone. I can see when they watched it. I can see when they watched it again. Again, uh, that's really cool. And, and it breaks things up. And I think, you know, one of the things we really have to be cognizant of as marketers is what's going to set us apart. I mean, everyone is creating content now. Everyone is writing blog posts. So what are you going to do that's different? Like everyone has drip campaigns. Every, you know, most Many people have adopted tools like SalesLoft and Tout and others and loaded them up with these follow-up emails, some of which are just plain awful. Right? Some of them have these animated GIFs that are makes, apparently supposed to make me feel guilty for not report, not reporting, returning some sales guy's phone call. I mean, I literally get people that say, I got a vo- uh, subject line that said, I ha- you, haven't heard, you haven't called me back. That makes me sad. It's like, not my problem, friend. Um, hey, we're not friends. Stop calling me buddy. So, you know, the I think when you want to differentiate and show that you're not treating someone like a number and you record even just a 15-second, you know, video for someone, it stands out and the response rates are there to prove that it's worth it. Yeah, I, I got one of these actually in the mail. Sorry, one of the good ones, I should say. I get probably 20 of the of the bad ones a week at least um, in, in my email. But I, I got one. I'm 99% sure, Tyler, they were using your platform because it caught my attention. First of all, it was a screen cap in the email. It showed my website. Right. It had someone's face over it and they were essentially pointing to something on my website. And like, how do I not look at that? Right. And and those are the these are the types of things that I think we need to be doing going back to the point as marketers. We need to arm our sales teams with creative ways of breaking through. Sales reps are, are very creative, but we need to find ways that we can do this on mass, on scale, so that they can actually go out and reach multiple prospects on a daily basis without having to wait for us as a marketing team to do it on a on a piece per piece uh, basis. And I'm, I'm wondering, Matt, like, what can you can you tell us about any clients that have truly accomplished some of these ideas on scale and and how is that happening versus going at it you know for one or two special clients that we may want yeah well i mean let's you know let's you know this is sausage making this is not always pretty it's not easy and my best examples both among clients as well as other companies i see you know those companies and the individuals leading those efforts will be the first to say well we're still figuring this out we're still working on trying to make this work uh, but i think you know the you know we've been talking a lot about content right and creating content is one thing and enabling the right kind of content is one thing but providing the tools and the processes and systems not only to execute this better but to scale it is a critical part of this and i think smart marketing teams and sales enablement efforts are prioritizing those systems and processes. So let's take viewed it, right? I mean, you know, you can get an entire sales team of five people, 50 people, 500 people, you know, using these video tools. 
But what do you do to not only enable them to do that? What tools and what processes do you give them? How do you teach them how to do it? How do you teach them how to do it in a way that integrates with CRM? That you know, How do you teach them how to watch for and follow up on when someone actually views that? Uh, and, and how do you reinforce that behavior over time? This isn't just, well, here's a tool, knock yourself out. I explained it to you in three minutes at the, B, at the, you know, F, S, uh, the uh, SKO you know, a couple months ago that you totally forgot about. So, you know, providing real process and system behind this um, is really, really important. And, I, and I, I used to be more of a detractor when it came to process and systemization of things. Um, I, I felt like it got in the way of, of being creative and of being agile. And I've learned, in, the, in some cases, the hard way, the exact opposite is true. Like the more you can systematize, the more you can create consistency and scalability of your good ideas – the more it makes those things happen faster, easier to deliver consistent results. And it gives you more time to be creative and more time to innovate whatever comes next. It's, it's so dead on. I, you know, it's, it's funny. I mean, that's really what we've been talking about all day today is how do we handle scale? How do we handle arming salespeople at scale to go direct, right? And, you know, the funny thing is, as you put it, when you don't, it's actually really scary what happens. And, you know, I've, I've spoken about this before. People may, may, may have heard me say that it's really funny to watch what salespeople do when you don't give them a process. And, and I'll give you an example, just embedding a piece of content into their email, right? Now, we all assume that they have somewhere that they're pulling these resources from. But the scary thing is, you know, they're often searching Google for their own content, right? It's like, I need a PDF that my company created in the last 12 months. I'm going to jump onto Google and I'm going to search something like site is, you know, mydomain.com, type is.pdf. Now, the problem with that, which the three of us are very well aware of, is that Google itself is indexing what's relevant over time, not what's relevant today, not what my marketing team actually wants me to go out and use, right? And, you know, beyond there, we see other, you know, tragic flaws that happen. I mean, you know, all three of us know, you know, one, maybe two call to actions, right? That's what we want to drive one outcome. But how many emails have we all gotten from sales reps that have like seven hyperlinks, right? It's like click here, then click here, then click here. I call it, I personally call it the black and blue email. It looks like a bruise, right? It just looks like blue hyperlinks and black text, right? It's like what my wife tells me I can't wear together, black and blue. And it's it's just like it's it's because we're not arming them. Right. You know, we need to arm them with better ways to find content, to embed content, to, you know, create content on the fly that's going to resonate with the audience. Yeah, and I couldn't agree more. And I think the the real challenge there is, you know, what do you do that's prescriptive versus allows them to be flexible with it and customize it based on their needs, right? And, and I still struggle with that myself. So I could create a portal of, you know, our top 10 assets and say, here's what you should be sharing and here's the place to find them, you know, but the feedback is often, well, I but I only want this one, that one, and uh, this video and this PDF. And so I think that fine balance is empowering reps to have that flexibility, but giving them a framework to do it, um, which is, you know, I know that's something that, you know, is near and dear to, to your heart, Randy, at, at Uberflip. And, and again, Matt, are, are you guys seeing this in practice where, you know, marketing is empowering sales with a bit of a, you know, a framework, but the ability for them to customize what's being shown where and, and maybe create custom hubs for them or things like that? I mean, the short answer is yes, we're seeing that. But I think, you know, the, the execution uh, can sometimes be bumpy. 
Right? Yeah. So like, you know, how do you actually balance making sure someone has the flexibility to customize something, A, so it's relevant to the prospect, B, so that the sales team feels comfortable using it without like neutering the value of the message, the offer, the angle that you're using, right? And so finding that balance is difficult. Um, you know, I tend to think of that sometimes as the 80-20 rule, right? You put the principle in place and say, listen, like some sales reps are going to abuse this. Some are going to go a little too far. But if they do that, then that means I probably haven't taught them well enough. I haven't taught them where the guidelines are and what the the, the opportunity cost is of not getting that right. Um, you know, that, that training uh, and education is on both sales and marketing to do. And that is not something you're going to do in a five minute conversation in the SKO. So this is this is complicated. This takes time. Um, but I think if this becomes part of the culture in the organization as 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 marketing as it has a has an active role in enabling the sales team with the right content tools and processes, as the sales team embraces that and makes that part of their culture, makes that part of not just marketing's half hour at the SKO, but part of the daily, weekly, monthly rhythm of training and reinforcement and part of the sales team's process, not marketing's push into the sales team process, then it starts to work a lot better. And so this is, I think for people listening to this that might feel a little intimidated by, you know, boy, how do I actually climb this mountain? I like find base camp, right? Like find the first step, you know, you know, what, how do you actually like create better content that sales team's going to use? What kind of tools can you enable the team with? How do you develop a better cadence of communication, at least with sales leadership, if not the entire sales team on why better content matters and why, you know, focus on personas at different stages of the buying process matters. I mean, start somewhere. Don't assume you're going to fix your golf swing in one 30 minute lesson, but start to make some progress. I love, I love that thinking. And it, that's a great way to kind of summarize. I think a lot of what we've talked about today, we, we've got like a minute or two left here, Matt. And I, I think people have gotten to get a bit of a taste of your passion for this space, but now let's get to know some of your passions outside of this space. Now, so we, we talked about whiskey. Is that, is that, is good whiskey your drink of choice? What's your drink of choice? And I, I should know this because we, we've been at, at enough conferences where we've had a drink together, but you know, what is, you know, what's, what's someone going to order you to, you know, to get your attention? Yeah, I'm a beer and whiskey guy, you know, so, so for me, you know, a good red ale and a really nice bourbon, a nice smooth bourbon, uh, like a, uh, uh, those are the two drinks that I'll usually go for. Uh, if you, if you put a Manhattan in front of me, I'm not going to object at all. Fantastic. All right. So bourbon, we start to think like, you know, bourbon's, you know, coming back strong, but you know, I still have thoughts of like farmland and things like that. Tell us about how farmland plays into your life. Boy, so about two and a half years ago, my wife and I bought uh, a little over a half an acre outside of Seattle. So not a huge plot of land, uh, but it, you know, on that uh, half an acre is a 110 year old uh, farmhouse, literally an old farmhouse. Um, that used to be on, you know, that used to manage a lot more of the land in and around us. So, you know, we've just kind of converted it into sort of our own little plot of land. You know, we've got uh, we've got two bunnies, ten chickens. Uh, we've got a little orchard corner of the property. We've got a bunch of um, built up a bunch of uh, you know garden beds that we do all kinds of sort of fruit and produce uh, over the summer. And you know, we've got three young kids, and it's just this awesome place, sort of our little little. Uh, own little corner of paradise that, uh, you know, still very much within, uh, you know, metro area circles to get to work and to get to everywhere else we need to go. I love that. So, so we'll finish with, with a, you know, a, a myth that you'll dispel for us one way or another. Are rabbits really like, do they eat carrots all day long? Is that true? Or, or what's their go-to food? 
Well, they can. I mean, our, uh, so our rabbits are nine weeks old. And so, you know, we're st- we've got them actually on a combination of Timothy hay and a little bit of sort of like baby rabbit food. Um, you know, they will eat uh, carrots for sure. From what I can tell, the crack for, for, for rabbits, the food that they cannot get <laughs> enough of is uh, oatmeal. Like literally you put a little bit of oatmeal in front of a sleeping rabbit, it will wake up and devour it. So, uh, wow. yeah. So the, did did as... that happen by accident? Like when your kids left their oatmeal or this was intentionally planned? <laughs> no, we were, we were told this. I mean, they, you know, as you kind of learn, like, you know, what does it take to actually have rabbits? I mean, they're pretty low maintenance animals, um, but they just love their oatmeal. So uh, we're told that and I can, I can tell you definitively that is true. That's amazing. Awesome. Well, Matt, this has been great as always. I, I love your passion and you know, both Tyler and I always rely on you for helping us and our companies in terms of how we scale and how we educate people. I encourage other people to reach out to you. What's the best website for people to find yet? Yeah, you can just find us at HeinzMarketing.com. It's Heinz, like the ketchup, H-E-I-N-Z Marketing.com on Twitter at Heinz Marketing. And I'm just directly at Matt, M-A-T-T at HeinzMarketing.com. Amazing, Matt. Uh, I'm Randy Frisch uh, from Uberflip. I've been having uh, Tyler Lassard with me as always from Vidyard. If you've enjoyed this podcast, check out all the other great podcasts we have at contentprospodcast.com. Again, this is a Convince and Convert podcast. There's a whole bunch of other great content available at Convince and Convert. If you've enjoyed this, leave us a review where you download your podcast, be it on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play. Let us know what you like. Let us know what you can make better. And until next time, thanks for listening to Content Pros. This is Jay Bear, and thanks for listening to Content Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast listening app. Go to contentprospodcast.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. Content Pros is sponsored by Convince & Convert, Oracle Marketing Cloud, and by Uberflip. It's produced by my team and I at Convince & Convert Media. Interested in being a guest or a sponsor on the show? Visit us at convinceandconvert.com.